Hello, I'm your host Josh Charig and welcome to a History of Heavy Metal in 100 Songs episode 11. Today we'll be discussing the Immigrant Song by Led Zeppelin. If you want to get in touch, you can contact me via Twitter on at AHOHM100. I will also be sharing extra resources here. If you've not heard this song before, or it's been a while since you have, pause the podcast, give it a listen, and come straight back. There exists a video from 1957 in black and white of some kids playing a skiffle song to a rather plummy suited man. It's a world away from the rock and roll music with Attitude, which started to dominate listeners' radios at the time. The guitar player, only 11 years old, explains to the host he wants to grow up and be a biological researcher. Unfortunately for that child, James Page, he did not grow up and fulfil his dreams. He would instead settle to be a guitarist for one of the world's biggest bands. Guitar was an obvious talent for him, and by the age of 20 was already an experienced and sought-after session musician. Influenced by the blues and the emerging rock scene, Page then went on to form the Yardbirds, which had some success, but eventually disintegrated. On the heels of this success, in 1968, he teamed up with Robert Plant, John Paul Jones and John Bonham, forming what would be known as the New Yardbirds. Their first UK tour, though, was a bit of a flop. For starters, with a name like the New Yardbirds, there was some disappointment that there was only one Yardbird in the band. Plus, they were middle-class art students from London singing blues songs, including the trials and tribulations of African Americans from the 30s. As you can imagine, this came across a bit disingenuous. So they did what all bands dream of, go to America and try and break that market. And break it they did. Their reception was far better received and they took off, becoming the biggest band in rock music. I'm sure there's a Zeppelin-related pun in there. Anyway, they took off and eventually found love from this side of the Atlantic too, becoming one of the highest selling artists to date. They progressed the field of hard rock, focusing not only on their music, but their image too, in means that seem very counterproductive, but proved to be critical to their success. By 1970, Zeppelin had released two highly successful albums, imaginatively titled Led Zeppelin 1 and Led Zeppelin 2 respectively. Their style was rock music with heavy blues and rock and roll influence, with notable folk moments. If you were sad about Cream splitting up, Led Zeppelin were the perfect rock scratch. They had that early distortion sound, but they weren't afraid to play faster when necessary, or indeed make use of the whole dynamic range with softer moments such as on Babe I'm Gonna Leave You. They were even edging into progressive territory, yet staying relevant and appealing. Their third album, Led Zeppelin III, not wanting to break from naming tradition I suppose, continued this rock sound but delved more into the experimental side of contemporary rock. Opening this LP is The Immigrant Song, a driving, fast-paced track focusing more on rhythm than the lengthy solos or intricate guitar work they became known for. The main riff of the song is Page and Jones both hammering a low F sharp and its octave. This turns the guitar from the melodic instrument Page normally treats it into a rhythm instrument. That octave provides some melodic relief, but also acts, at want of a better word, a bump to the rhythm. 
Considering the theme of the song, it recreates the rhythm of a longboat sailing over smooth waters at quick speed, hitting the odd wave, making the boat rise and fall. The rhythmic pattern is based on a gallop, but with a bit of variation. It's a type of rhythm which would go on to appear many times in heavy metal. Listen to Metallica's Battery, Maiden's Run to the Hills, Tweetbird's Reservations. I mean, I, I could go on and name hundreds of songs. It gives the song a militaristic feel, but there's one note off from being a proper gallop, which sounds perhaps a bit odd to our ears, which are expecting certain patterns. Gallops have been used to represent aggression in music. It sounds and is named after a charging horse. The off note could better represent the sailing of boats over an unpredictable sea. The guitar is in F sharp and Page yells his war cry in C sharp, reaching its octave, then dropping a semitone to C, which he holds for a while until resolving back to C sharp. It's very interesting what's happening here. C sharp is the perfect fifth of F sharp. The perfect fifth is known as the most stable note of the scale as in it sounds the best when played together with the root compared to any other note from the scale. But dropping a semitone creates something very discordant. Without getting too deep into musical theory, remember last episode when I spoke about tritones? That's what's happening here. C is the tritone to F sharp. Zeppelin are playing the devil's note. But because the guitar is taking a rhythmic part, it leaves a bit of space for the vocals to fill and the clash is less noticeable. I say it's less noticeable. I've been listening to this song for decades. <laughs> Maybe I'm used to it. It would be interesting to know if this is, is a new song to anyone, whether this scream sounds a bit jarring to you. The tritone does bring fear, as we discussed in episode 10, and that's exactly what a war cry is for. Instill fear in the enemy. That war cry, or that scream, it's important. We've heard vocals which are forte or loud, but we've not really heard an outright scream before. This is something relatively new in music. So far, we have an off gallop from a rhythmic guitar and bass and a tritone scream. Add to it the pounding, kick-heavy drums of Bonham, and we have ourselves a proto-metal track. That's just from the intro. The song resolves, though and the intro sails into the next section, which is the chorus or the pre-chorus. The guitar bounces off an A and sits on an E major. The major tonality is a friendly tonality, very, very ear-friendly, which really juxtaposes that intense introduction. There are a couple of reasons for this. It represents the march to war and the relief after the battle and conquering another land and victory. Victory parades are in major tonalities when you think of those horns blasting. But this also gives us, the listeners, some relief. It takes away that militaristic fear and serves as a normal song. Plant's vocals use that off-gallop rhythm to deliver his message in a monotonous tune. He becomes more tuneful as the band enters the verse. The guitars go back to the gallop, again giving Plant's vocals space. Throughout the song, Plant has the space to sing and really show off. His vocals are a major asset to the band. They're very unique and powerful, and the Immigrant Song is a great showcase of this. They carry any melody, from the quiet lows of the verse to the shrieking highs of the chorus. 
And that chorus is also where we hear some of John Paul Jones's more intricate bass playing too. The guitar plays A, B, then C, or the fourth, fifth, and sixth degrees of the F sharp minor scale. Jones plays incredibly quickly the ascending mixolydian of those notes. What's a mixolydian, you might be asking? It's a major scale with a flat seventh. It's a bit low in the mix, but it's worth keeping an ear out for. And if you listen to it, you might think this sounds a bit odd. It actually builds a low-level anxiety in me. I think this is because when you play through the notes of a given scale, the tonality should change. Again, not wanting to get too into the music theory weeds here, the Mixolydian scale of F-sharp minor would be an E. It's a very bright-sounding scale with a major tonality, and used a lot in walking blues bass lines. Think Muddy Waters got my mojo working. In F-sharp minor, A is an Ionian, or perfect major scale. The Mixolydian kind of works over this. B, the next note of the chorus, should be a minor tonality, or Dorian scale, or B minor sharp sixth. And this is where there's a bit of musical juxtaposition. And C, again, should have a minor tonality, or specifically a Phrygian scale. But this scale has a flat two and three, which is getting really tonally out of sync with the major based mixolydian. If this is going a bit over your head, basically, as the guitar and bass plays up through the F sharp minor scale, we expect to hear a certain progression, but Jones is giving us something very different to what we would expect or what sounds good. Couple that with the rapid ascent of these scales that builds this nervous, frenetic energy. To top it off, the end of the chorus resolves on a C-sharp, a semitone up from C, creating a short chromatic run, and again landing on the F-sharp tritone. Basically, this is not something you would choose to do if you wanted a pleasant-sounding song. They put in these odd-sounding moments and these musical clashes in what should make an ugly song, but there are these moments of relief as the song changes back to the more predictable verses. Almost as if to say sailing and conquering are more comfortable than peacetime on land. Lyrically, it's about Vikings invading, drawing on imagery of lands of ice and snow and midnight suns, which are common in Northern Europe summertime. There's plenty of military war and fighting references throughout this, including the promise of Valhalla, the glorious afterlife awaiting those who died in battle. There are plenty of maritime references, but I've always wondered about the line, our only goal will be the Western Shore. It's kind of vague. Who's Western Shore? Because this can be relative. There are quite a few Western Shores west of Norway, where I assume they were coming from, but they weren't talking about Norway. In 1970, the band were invited to play in Iceland, a land settled by Vikings, by the Icelandic government. They arrived in the middle of a civil servant strike and the venue cancelled the gig. The university prepared a gig hall for them and they could eventually play. The response from the kids there was phenomenal and the band had a great time. After the Icelandic gig, they were due to play at Bath Festival and the Western Shore is probably a reference to Britain's Western Shore where Bath is located. The song was about that experience in Iceland, but 
I think there's another reason why the whole Viking imagery resonated with the band. The Vikings spread from Norway across northern Europe, raiding and eventually settling in places like France, Britain, but reaching as far as Russia, Greenland and America. They lived in a land which can be quite inhospitable, taking what they wanted from lush and fertile regions. It sounds like a metaphor to Zeppelin's origins, starting in the UK, where their reception was meagre, and conquering the western shores of the USA. From there, they went from conquest to conquest, to use their militaristic metaphor, eventually taking over the world. Perhaps they felt like Vikings, forever travelling to new lands and taking back tons of riches, conquering through music and culture as opposed to hammer and sword. The last verse lyrically stands out. It goes against the rest of the song, talking about rebuilding ruins and peace and trust can win the day. And I wonder if this was because they looked back at the lyrics and saw they were glorifying war and fighting and doing this against a backdrop of Vietnam and the height of the anti-war movement. It would have been incredibly controversial for Zeppelin to sing a pro-war song. Maybe they were reading the room and wanted to put something in about how war is not necessary, peace and trust win the day. Zeppelin didn't like releasing singles. However, the Immigrant Song was released and was the only single from Zeppelin 3. This was an interesting way in which they controlled their image. They believed an album is a piece of art on its own and should be experienced as such. Single releases break up that experience. Whilst not releasing singles has some direct logic to it, what was more baffling is they didn't do press interviews. They created a mystery around the band. With no singles or press, there was very little of the band getting in front of the public. To experience the band meant listening to an album or seeing one of their shows. These guys were very mysterious at a time when there was cult of the rock star. With all this going on, the band would trash hotel rooms wherever they would stay. Hotel managers would put the band in rooms which they wanted redecorating, so after the band trashes it, they could charge them for redecoration. They had all the rock and roll trimmings too. Indulgence in sex and drugs. They were these mystery men everyone wanted to know more about. They played up to this even more with their following album, Zeppelin 4, another fantastic and creative title, by removing the album and band name from the cover. It's here as well they started using these four mysterious symbols which would adorn their artwork from now on. It's believed each of these symbols represents a member of the band, but the band has been quiet on confirming this. This follow-up LP had some of Zeppelin's most famous tracks, including Black Dog and When the Levee Breaks. But one track, Stairway to Heaven, became their most famous and their most well-known. I think every guitar shop has made some public joke about banning anyone from playing Stairway to Heaven because it's so overplayed. The Butthole Surfers named one of their albums Hairway to Stephen. I'm sure there are other bands that song has influenced, but that one is my favourite. Zeppelin definitely had some heavy songs, and I think the Immigrant song is their heaviest. It's a proto-metal song in the same way Helter Skelter was. Zeppelin weren't a metal band. Good bands do cross genres, and we see Zeppelin cross into quite a few, but on the whole they stuck to rock. There's an ongoing debate 
which is probably never going to be settled as to who the first metal band were. But they weren't Zeppelin. I find those who are into metal tend to say Black Sabbath, whereas those who perhaps dabble in it, but it's not their first choice of music, say Zeppelin. And here's why I think it's Sabbath. Sabbath made their listeners uncomfortable and didn't resolve their songs with any relief, whereas Zeppelin did. Zeppelin's songs are more upbeat sonically. Sabbath's down-tuned guitars and gratuitous levels of distortion gave them a darker sound not heard before. Zeppelin, whilst louder and a bit more distorted than the average, aren't that dissimilar in sound to other contemporary rock bands. On being like their contemporaries, Sabbath, whilst there is still some blues influence there, have generally thrown most of it out the window and they're playing straight up heavy rock and metal. Zeppelin still have that bluesy sound and influence, on top of which they play plenty of ballads and slower songs which don't really have a place in metal. Well, not yet anyway. You might be thinking, but what about Sleeping Village on the first Sabbath LP? I mean, it's not really a ballad, is it? Um, there's something very creepy going on there. It's not exactly the melodic and uplifting first half of Stairway. None of this is to say one band is objectively better than the other. They're both great bands. It's just Black Sabbath, for me, are the first metal band. Here's where my opinion does get controversial, though. Throughout this series, when I've researched a band, I found new respect for them. I better understand what they did, how hard it was for them, and their music takes on a new meaning and a new appreciation. As I've researched Zeppelin, I've liked them less. To be completely honest, I don't know why they got as big as they did. Well, the whole Mystery Men image probably did a lot of the heavy lifting, as did English men in America singing blues-based rock. But getting down to their songs, their very product, they're good and I enjoy listening to them, but I don't think a lot of these songs warrant the fuss they've had over them. Especially when a lot of Zeppelin's songs were plagiarised. They were taken to court for covering songs which they credited to themselves. Fortunately, they lost most of these cases and gave their proper royalties and credit to the songwriters. This is even worse when you consider that these middle-class white guys were ripping off people like Willie Dixon and Muddy Waters, African-Americans who spent a lot of their lives in poverty. Bringing this back to a Sabbath Zeppelin comparison, Sabbath came from poverty and worked 20 times harder than Zeppelin did without having to plagiarise. Now, I'm, I'm not saying I hate Zeppelin, I still like them, I still listen to them, and as I will explain in a bit, I understand why they are influential, I just don't understand how they became as big as they are. I know it's a controversial thing to say, especially for someone presenting a history of metal. If you're a big Zeppelin fan, perhaps you'd like to write in and tell me why they resonate with you more than any other 60s or 70s rock band. Despite this, Zeppelin went on to conquer the world. They're one of the most well-known rock bands to this day, usually topping lists of the highest selling artists of all time. The band came to a sudden halt though after the tragic death of drummer John Bonham in 1980. They left behind something which influenced rock more than just the music. Their anti-image persona would be woven into the fabric of metal 
with bands like Metallica refusing to lease singles, at least for their first three albums, and Tool wanting to decouple the musician from the music itself. I don't think I really need to sit here and say how influential they were. Every rock band from 1970 onwards took note. Even Black Sabbath took influence from Zeppelin. I didn't want my thoughts to come across as Black Sabbath versus Led Zeppelin because that's not how we should see it. Both bands brought something to the table. They both respected each other and influence went both ways. And music is not a competition. They did bring something new to the table though. This was the first Viking metal song. As we'll see, Vikings play an important part in certain metal genres. As mentioned, they brought screaming to music. They also played with rhythm in a novel way in the Immigrant Song. Metal will become a lot more about rhythm than melody, and this song pushes that. The gallop rhythm has been used before, but not in a forceful way like this. This song showed the beginnings of how complex bands could get, focusing only on rhythm. In the next episode, we'll be looking at another rhythm-heavy song as we return to Black Sabbath with Children of the Grave. If you'd like to get in touch, you can contact me on Twitter on at AHOHM100. I do look forward to hearing, in a constructive way, what Led Zeppelin means to you. Thank you for listening.